freaking what up, dude? Um, Strider Wilson, and I'm the host of this podcast that's mine. It's gonna be called History is Nice. Friggin' what up, dude? Welcome back to another episode of History is Dank, dude. I'm your host, Strider Wilson, dude. Today we got freaking Dante on the sticks. What up, Dante? What up? <laughs> Chilling, dude. Dude, I'm feeling freaking cozy, bro. I've been stoked on getting cozy right now, dude. I got a, me and my Jeff, we got a damn dog, dude. We went out and got a little pup, dude. Rescued it, dude. I look at it, dude, when I'm taking it on walks. Freaking walking it around, dude. Someone comes up with another dog. He goes, oh, he's so cute. I look at them in the eye immediately and I go, rescue. What's his name? I go, rescue. What up? Power move, dude, in LA. Huge power move, dude. Oh, cool. What is he mainly? I don't know, dude. It's a mystery, but I love him for that mystery, dude. What up? So do you like judge people that don't rescue dogs now? Nah, I mean, dude, I, I wish I could, but you know, my mom's got a golden retriever, dude, and a little friggin' like some dog called like a Catan de Couture or something like that. That's like from Morocco or something. I don't know. And um, they're just dank. Look, dude, all dogs need homes and all dogs need friggin' pets and love. And sometimes I just like to have that power move flex. Basically me flexing like that is just letting people know that our haters, you know, and I understand there's, you know, I don't want to go on this dog. People will freaking, you know, they'll maul me, dude, because they got hard set opinions on this. But I'm of the schooling of, dude, go out and find yourself a dank dog and freaking pet it and get cozy with it, dude. You know, that's what I like, dude. I found out I love when my dog's sleeping, dude. That's my favorite time, dude. It's not even about playing fetch, dude. He's just snuggling, dude. I like to put on, and it's the holidays right now, dude. I like to put on a turtleneck, even though I'm not even skiing. You know, just cruising around like some sort of, you know, Austrian assassin. In LA, it's 85 degrees out. People are looking at me. Why are you in a turtleneck, dude? I'm wearing, you know, basically cruising around looking like Steve Jobs, dude. Just cruising, dude. It's a good look. It's a cozy look in LA. I'm sweating. I'm dripping wet under that. But you know what, dude? It's all about getting into the holidays, and, and for me, it's about being cozy, dude. I get it, dude, you know? And look, I'm, you know, out here in L.A., people like to, you know, wear tank top and shorts, and I love doing that, dude. But this time of year, I like to step into a turtleneck and enjoy myself, you know? I'm not trying to fit in. I, I finally kind of had a breakthrough, Dante, about this, of, like, me really putting on turtlenecks and cruising around is um, I kind of get, like, teenage kids. I remember when I would go to the beach, dude. And I'd see, like, there's always those kids that would show up to the beach, like, in jean jackets and jeans, you know? And this was, you know, probably smoke some cigs. They would probably, like, share one cig that some they somehow got their hands on. Wow. And, dude, exactly. It was, it was so badass. Cool. It was sick, yeah. I was like, these kids are, dude, they're breaking rules, you know? And then one of them would be like, I'm 18. Lifeguards would be like, hey, what are you guys doing smoking? Like, lifeguards that were trying to act like cops, you know? And I'm like, but then again, they're protecting those kids' lives because, you know, smoking cigs kills. But, uh... I kind of get it, dude. Like, those kids just weren't trying to fit in. They're like, everyone here is wearing board shorts, and I love wearing board shorts and, you know, no lid when I'm at the beach. But, like, that's what those kids were about. They were just about, about saying, look, I'm here to see my crush. I don't know if I'm going to talk to her, but maybe I'll make eye contact with her, and that's enough to get me through the week. And then I'm going to go drink coffee as a 17-year-old, you know, from the snack shack instead of getting a breakfast burrito, which is the dankest thing to actually get. But I get it, dude, and so I'm just trying to be cozy. Dude. I'm trying to relate. You know, I'm just trying to open my mind. I'm trying to say, I'm trying to look at stuff now and rather go, I'm going, why do I do this? 
And then I try to look at the other person's perspective. Like when I look at someone, when I'm walking my dog and I go, what up rescue? I look at their perspective and they go, Hey man, maybe my dog is a rescue or it isn't, but either way, it's my dog and I love it. And I go, okay, I love that dude. Cruising to the beach, dude. Maybe I'm not wearing a jean jacket and jeans or a turtleneck at the beach, but if you are, that's your style, you know, metal detector dudes. Maybe that's what they're into, dude. Metal detector dudes aren't wearing board shorts. It's usually old dudes. They're wearing sketchers on the sand, which I would immediately say that's a noob and a barno. If I see you wearing socks and shoes in the sand, but maybe they have a foot issue. Maybe they have orthopedics in, you know? All I'm saying is you got to think someone else, you know, don't judge the book by its cover always or what someone's wearing, you know? And that ties exactly into our historical share today is, you know, judging people of what position they work in and whatever. There's probably someone, something more to that person, you know? Everyone's multifaceted. But before we get to that, dude, freaking... Thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring this episode, dude. Manscaped offers precision and engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience, dude. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code DANK. That's all caps, dude. D-A-N-K, DANK, at manscaped.com, dude. Your balls will thank you, dude. And you know what? I'm using my Manscaped right now, and I got to tell you right now, I love it, dude. I, it's in my routine. I've had my Manscaped for about a month now. And don't tell my GF, dude, but I've fallen in love with this thing. It's honestly, I'm getting I'm getting three of them for Christmas for my brothers. I got three brothers, and all their freaking pubes are going to be looking freaking fresh, dude. And they're going to have me to thank for that and Santa. So And also Manscaped.com. So if you're looking to hook your bros up, dude, make sure they're comfortable, dude. And look, dude, I've been wearing turtlenecks, like I said. I'm sweating up a storm, dude. But guess what? downstairs next to my family jewels it's cool dude it's room temp down there dude and it's nice because nothing's crazy no overgrowth you just nice trim plush environment down there so i truly yeah dude i'm, I'm freaking super stoked on it man it's got a sick ass case too that it comes with dude like i'm saying dude, I'll, I'll freaking i'll use my manscape i'll put a turtleneck on dude nothing else pull out my little manscape dank little pouch dude that feels very sleek take it out and just feel like i'm you know in Mission Impossible or something down there, you know, doing Mission Made Very Easy and Very Possible thanks to Manscaped, dude, with their dank freaking technology, dude. So get 20% off plus shipping, dude, with the code DANK at manscaped.com. Send them to your bros, dude. I'm sending them to my bros for the holidays. Um, All right, dude, so like I was mentioning, with professions, look, dude, I do valet, bro. I got my pink polo on, my khakis, dude. I got my fat stack of tippies in my left pocket, dude. I got my tickets, my other pocket, my pen always equipped, dude, ready to go, ready to park whips and score fat tips. And, you know, some people, they'd look at me, dude, and they would go, dude, this guy, he's just a valet, he just knows how to park cars. But, dude, they wouldn't know that I'm excellent at tongue darting my GF, that I have excellent interior design taste, and that I've got a sick crew of bros that I love hanging out with, Chad and JT. And they wouldn't know that I did once think that I did want to be a DJ, but then realized that, um, you know, I really like sleep too much. So I, that's not my lifestyle, even though I do love beats. So I'm more of a guy who just will enjoy beats rather than create them. So people wouldn't know that necessarily about me by when I'm parking their car. And, you know, maybe, you know, they're just going, oh, this guy, he's just built to do this job. And in that moment, I want to execute it well. But, you know, I've also got other stuff happening. And I think historically, a position that I think probably gets this the most would be a medieval executioner, dude. Dante, when I say, when, when I just said that phrase to you, a medieval executioner, what pops into your dome when I say that, dude? What are you picturing? 
just like a massive dude right. with like a black hood, right? Yes, thank like you. This dude is like mostly torso. Yep. Heavy upper girdle, barrel chest. But like, you know he but like the hippos. legs are thick. Yes. But they're short. Right. Because it's all about power. Yeah. Brute, blunt force because you're thinking he's doing decapitations. Yeah. Right? You're so right. I can't even tell you how right you are. That's exactly what I think of. We think of this absolutionist executioner who's got no backstory. Who is this guy? So right now, in today's episode, I want to look at who might these executioners be and what was life like for these hooded individuals who, in fact, usually weren't hooded because, you know, we're looking at medieval Europe here, though we'll talk about a few other regions, but mainly we're going Middle Ages Europe, you know, late 1500s, early 1600s. And you know, high, Christian nation, dude, that, that's all, all tied into it of why we have these public executions and, uh, and, and there's sort of a wild west atmosphere. So when c- criminals were caught, they wanted to really make a display of it to deter crimes. So they wanted to really make it terrifying, um, for people to witness so they wouldn't go and do bad things. Um, although I don't, I think they do go a little overboard in my current 21st century opinion, but we got to look at it from, you know, someone of the era, but it's like, there was no sense for these executioners really to wear hoods Everyone in town knew who they were. You know what I'm saying? Like, say they did have that body type, Dante of a freaking IPA housing, upper upper girdle, you know, barrel-chested body with some, you know, stocky, thick quads, you know, some oak tree calves. And just, they'd look around and they'd go, oh, yeah, dude, that's Carl. That's who, why is he wearing a hood? I, I know exactly who that is. And in fact, it's sad to say, a lot of them were shunned. You know, they went to live on the edge of town. People... It was a somewhat thankless job. Now, there's a case in a dude that I'm going to reference in a little bit, Franz Schmidt, who's sort of an exception to that rule and gives us uh, today one of the greatest insights into what it was like to be a medieval executioner because he journaled everything. So we'll get into a few entries but of his. But uh, it's like <clears throat> a lot of them, basically, it was a family. What it comes down to, it was a family gig. It's like if, you're, if your father was a Thatcher and made nets, you were going to go and make nets. If your dad was a shoemaker, cobbler, you were going to go and be going to become a cobbler. And like, it was very rare to rise outside of your class because of limited opportunity. And just the social hierarchy was, was set back then in these sort of basically feudal states, you know? So, but the thing that's a bummer, dude, is that people just look at these executioners who, I mean, Today, you know, your opinion on corporal punishment can be what it may. And I personally, I think that it doesn't really work to deter, deter crimes nowadays. Um, I think like it costs the state a ton of money. Um, I think most of these crimes are like crimes of passion and uh, murders, if you look at it statistically. And it's like these people aren't going to go out and be serial killers. Like basically the only person you want to justify killing is like a crazy serial killer who like killed 30 people. But even then I'm like, well, once we caught the guy, just put him in jail. Like... He's not going to get out. You know what I mean? Like, I think our tech's good enough. And the guy, obviously, like, if you look at the cases now, it's been studied well over. Like, he, in his lifetime growing up, he saw people got the death penalty. It didn't stop him. Is he going to stop the next person? I don't think so. I think there's something else psychologically going on. But that's just my opinion injected right there. It's a little off topic. Let's get back on and keep cruising here. Um, and let's get back into it with a crazy quick fact about executions. Um, there was a formal executionist in France, um, you know, and their France is famous for using the guillotine from the French Revolution. Um, do you know when the uh, last executionist in France, in the French Republic, um, they had like an official executioner. 
Um, the last one, his name was Marcel Chevier, um, and he, fir- he served until the formal abolition of, of capital punishment. Um, and I don't want to say the year yet because, Dante, I want you to guess what year, dude, did, they, did France, did this executionist retire in? 1895. Oh, dude, no. Okay, see, I would have guessed way back then, too. Way more modern. 1960. Keep going up. Jesus. That's a cool, breezy 2002. Okay, okay, I like it. 77, dude. (laughs) Okay. Isn't that nuts? And then 81, they finally got rid of, like, the position, and now I guess, like... Yeah, but then in, like, 95, they brought it back. They were like, hmm, could be cool, though. Yeah, it's remixed. It's throwback. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, so classic wait, what is executions. Seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. Yeah. Um. So, like I mentioned, being an executioner in the Middle Ages was like most other professions. You're born into it. Um. There's like a, a British dynasty called the Pierpoints, who uh, they had like a, a ton of executioners in their family. Um. Freaking in Japan, executioners. So like, but mainly like. They would have, and I'll get into like a few little perks they had, but the main thrust of this is that people sort of treated them like, dude, they would, they would have to be buried in unmarked gravestones because the state was giving them the right to murder these people, but then the people were still like, oh yeah, they're murderers. We don't ha- want to have anything to do with it. And it's like, sorry, dude, like look at our system. I was born like this, dude. My dad was this. I want to probably go out and start an emo punk band, you know, and vape but that's not even invented yet, but I could have invented it, but I can't because I have to be an executioner, dude. So I'm getting punished for just doing my job. When someone's punishing you for just doing your job, that's, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that's unchill, dude, you know? But then like Edward Snowden style, we just got to make sure as a people in a society, we, we make sure that people just doing their jobs, that those jobs don't become criminal jobs, you know? In Japan, executioners, dude, this is like um, in like, you know, the hegemon state, so similar Middle Ages, Japan. Um, executioners were held in contempt. They were part of the Burukamin class. Man, I butchered the heck out of that. B-U-R-A-K-U-M-I-N class. In Japan today, executions are carried out by prison guards. Yeah, dude. They're basically, these guys have lived like on the literal edge of town, dude. In the Ottoman Empire, dude, same same era as Middle Ages, uh, only the Romani people, which were like, I think people from like northern India, like, um, and then they, that population became like a diaspora throughout Europe and the Ottoman Empire and stuff. Um, basically, they were the only ones executioners, so like the Ottomans, and in you know the Ottomans ruled over other many other um, nations and everything before like being split up, basically in in Britain and after the. First World War, but like, um, basically the Romani were just seen as a damned people by the rest of everyone else. Their grave mar- gravestones weren't marked, dude. They were separate from the public graveyards. Um, they didn't even put inscriptions on the tombstones, dude. Um, freaking, they got just basically no love for doing a job that the state deemed necessary, dude. Um, let's see here, dude. That's crazy because I feel like as a kid, when you when I, when I think about it, I'm like. Oh yeah, like this dude's like a baller who just like shows up. He's like some like dude that like people respect, and he comes and he like gets the job done, mm-hmm. and then just like walks off and is like, "Yep, I yeah. did that." You would think, and you and you look at him, they always look all badass, dude, yeah. and like, but really, people were they have like of, a giant axe, yeah, huge axe, which actually we'll get into in a little bit. Was like if you got the axe and a clean blow, like 
that was considered like humane in the Middle Ages compared to the other stuff they did. I guess it would be worse if like, what if the executioner was like a tiny guy, like who was like really weak and he had like a crappy hatchet and you're like, oh, this is going to be brutal. It'd be, it'd be the worst. And in fact, people would, they're kind of like referees a little bit. They're kind of treated like refs where like if they're doing their job right, everyone just like expects that to happen. And, and so like if a ref's doing his job the best, no one will ever notice it. It's not until they screwed up and then, then everyone's mad. And executioner's kind of the same way. And like, there's an account from this dude, um, Fran Schmidt, who I'm going to talk about in a little bit, but he's like, um, he said, he's like, dude, if you would mess up, because kind of how you said earlier, Dante, like it's a dude who shows up and it's just badass. Like if you were starting out being an executioner, you had to travel around and go to other smaller provinces and like you would come into town and handle it and leave because people would be like, other people maybe like, probably thought that that criminal who's being put to death only acted once and you know he got his whatever trial a trial was back then that was fair um from the state and so if someone in the town had to be the executioner then that could lead to other crimes so they're like no we're going to bring in this executioner he's going to do it and then leave and also that town probably didn't have the money to pay and keep one on but like a bigger town let's use germany for example like bamberg nuremberg they would pay a dude because in it had a bigger population. He would just live there. And so that was actually, you were lucky as an executioner because you would be, even though you were ostracized mainly by your community, you would still, this is like, if you had hit it right, you would get paid pretty well. You had a th- something that was called like a, um, like a haver or something like that. I got to look it up in a little bit, but it's like, uh, basically, oh, it's called havage. Executioners could go to the market and get a certain portion, a small portion for like himself and, and the family um, from Mark, from the um, vendors for free, you know, and then just like leave. So he'd go there in the morning, get his havage, which was part of the state, and then and then bail because people would mistreat him and the people wouldn't want to sell him stuff because they don't like what he does. But the state was like, no, you got to give him a little bit. And then the state would like cover that cost. And they said like they would live if you were made it really, really, if you really like made it as an executioner and you were successful, um, you could probably live like above the class that you were actually part of, like above a surf or a, you're mainly like probably had the level of like just under a, a pretty successful merchant. And so you could have a family and whatever. And that's kind of why, you know, it, it basically was a skilled laborer. So if you're a skilled laborer, you could do pretty well back then, but they got shunned for their skilled labor. And dude, yeah, they would travel around as axemen five years whatever get experience and then maybe you know through a connection or whatever get posted up through a gig and if you did mess up is what we were saying like if you didn't get basically it was like three like if you were doing a decapitation and you didn't get three solid strokes this guy Fran Schmidt writes he would see like the crowd would turn on the people and they'd be like that's inhumane like how dare you not like do it right like you're not doing your job this person's suffering uh unnecessarily he was supposed to get like a good clean clean death, which was a decapitation in like one blow, maybe two, three. Okay, but anything beyond that, like this is just bad. And he would say like, dude, that a lot more times than not, guys would not get it in three because these dudes weren't like Hollywood shows us big old jack dudes. It's just a guy like it could have been a smaller dude going and doing this and doesn't have the strength to really do it. And uh, But people don't want to do it, you know? They don't want to wow. do... Who would want to go and do that work? So... What about when, like, gunpowder was invented? Like, did they ever switch to that? Or Yeah, this was a little later, right? Right now we're mainly living in, like, middle-aged 
European times. Um, and like gunpowder is, I think around, I got to look up, I mean, the Chinese had it way before, but it's a good question because a gun, a, sh a gunshot might have been too swift of a killing. Oh, so that's right? like too nice. Yes. So there's like a middle ground that they're going for. There is because in, in this area, you have to think it's like the wild west, right? So more often than not, criminals would get away with it. Like if you're going to go, if you murder some farmer on the outskirt of a village and maybe you're a transient guy or you're even a member of that community, there's no DNA, there's no blah, blah, there's no witness. You just killed him. You took like whatever stock that he had. You basically had to hide that stock. That was the only way you were going to get like caught. If someone like find, found out that like, oh, you have all this like corn kernels. Where'd that come from? Oh, they just went missing. This is the guy who did it. But basically it's like, it's, it's so hard to catch people that when they did catch someone, they, and they want it to put, they did these public executions. I mean, the, the real good question is why even do it in public? You're going to get rid of someone, just have it be understood that they're, this person gets killed. It's because there's no like mainstream media. People can't read. You can't print it up really in the newspaper of like, oh, this guy, I mean, I guess you could put a picture up and like show like a symbol and paint it. And they probably did that too, but what's going to be more effective seeing it happen. And so, you know, the magistrate and like often the church and priests would be involved too with this. They'd be like, oh, you know, repent right now. If you repent, the executioner is going to take it easier on you. It's all tying into control as well from the church and the state of like, even though you committed a crime, we're going to forgive you right now for it. I mean, you're going to die. No question you're dead, dude. But if you repent and you act well, we'll forgive you for it. And criminals oftentimes, if they were a member of that community, it would behoove them to act well because they had family members who they didn't want to get mistreated or have, if they had any money, the state wouldn't take it from them. Like, a wife of a dude who goes out and kills somebody isn't guilty, but if that guy doesn't repent, it doesn't. There's going to be a social stigma then around his family, and he might not want unless he's like a truly evil dude. But like I was saying, a lot of times these are crimes of passion or whatever, or desperation. It would behoove him for the church to act well. Like that's why in like Braveheart, you see that scene of like the nobleman being like, "The prisoner wishes to speak," and he's like, "You think he's going to say like?" Uh, what is he going to say? Like, say I have faith or something. It's uh, whatever. But then William Wallace just yells like, hey, freedom. And then he gets like the full extent of disemboweling and burning and stretched out, all that stuff. Very, very gruesome. But it's like, you know, Wallace was all about his country. The woman that he loved was gone. What did he have to lose besides his honor and his mission? And, and that's why he stuck to his guns there, which is huge. Plus Mel Gibson plays characters that generally don't have flaws, dude. You know? Um, early in his career, at least, dude. Um, but anyway, that's a knock for another time. But dude, Dante, those are freaking fantastic questions, and I'm glad that we're getting to them in a very dank, organic matter, dude. And I've been talking a lot now how it's like, oh, it's a family thing. Um, you know, like in the Middle Ages, you're born into this position. It's This is a patriarchy that we're under in this time. Um, even though you could have like queen monarchs, but like the generally a, a male-dominated society men would be doing that job, right? There is an instance in Ireland of a uh, female executioner um, in the town of Rosecommon. Um, it's Ireland's only ever hang woman, dude. Freaking Lady Betty was her name. Um, and she was given the post in exchange for her life, which wasn't too uncommon. Sometimes criminals, if like a town didn't have an executioner or something or a fa family lineage and they needed someone and there was a guy who like committed a crime that wasn't that bad, like he was a schmoll and like, 
I don't know, dude, like maybe freaking took a, someone's ox for a joyride or something like that, or would like throw stones in the road, like some sort of public nuisance. And they're probably like going to do something way too brutal to him for that, like cut off his hand or something. <laughs> but, uh, they're like, you know what, dude, you cannot do that. And you can just be our executioner. And he's like, I, I want to have my hand. Okay. I guess, I guess I'll do it. And I guess I'll kind of get paid for it. So that's how it happened sometimes. And in this instance with lady Betty, her and 25 others were due to be hanged. And, uh, the freaking hangman was sick. And so lady Betty goes, I'll carry out the task. If you guys let me live. And who wants to kill 25 people? Um, the state does, but they don't want to necessarily do it. And they go, the county, you know, of course, which represents the state, but the county at a smaller level here goes, all right, do it. And you can live. So then she became the town's hangwoman from then on. She freaking <laughs> did a good job, dude. That's such a bold move. Yeah, dude. Isn't that nuts, dude? I wonder how the other people felt. Uh, Dude. They were probably like, oh, no, I'll do it. I'll do a better yeah, job. They're like, wait, what? Please let that, me. That was an option the whole time. Dude, exactly. And I guess like I, I looked up a little bit more. And so the reason she was in jail was because a man, apparently, supposedly a man came to stay at her house in 1789 and she murdered him. So before discovering he was in fact her long lost son, this is what I'm hearing. Um, so she got arrested, con convicted and sentenced to death for murder. Um, you know, I don't know the details of the case. Um, some other dudes were um, due to be hanged. Uh, sheep and cattle thieves. Theft, dude. They did not take theft lightly in, in the Middle Ages. Because uh, well, they the, didn't have anything. Exactly. It's like, dude, if you do that, like you're, basi you're basically, if you take someone's livestock, like you're basically almost being like... It's like burning down their house. Burning down a house, and, and then they're going to be dead, and that's their life source. So you're, it's almost, it's akin to murder almost. Um, but is it worth killing them? I mean, from my 21st century lens, of course not. Um there's this group called White Boys, which is just young men who tore down fences and hedges surrounding what had once been common land. So basically it was them being like, this, the government's taking our land, saying we can't go here, and they're sticking up for their rights by like upending fence posts. And then the government's like, no, we're going to kill you now for that. Seems a little bit harsh. Um, so those were who uh, the groups and probably some others um, committing various crimes were in that group of 25 set to be killed. She went ahead and carried out the execu executions and floggings. So maybe not everyone was going to die. It was just beating. So she beat some dudes as well, um, including a number of rebels. Um, and uh, she was also, this is kind of psychotic, known for drawing portraits of the men and women she hanged on the wall of her lodgings with charcoal. She lived in the prison, by the way. So basically she would was alive, so she got to keep her life, lived in jail, and would be taken out of jail to um, kill people. But then, in 1802, her sentence was commuted in recognition of her service to the safety of the public. And um, when she died in 1807, she was buried in an unmarked grave. Crazy, dude. Somebody, wow. according to folk folklore, said she was murdered by a prisoner. So maybe she talked crap to some prisoner or something when she was living in there, and the guy came back and sought retribution. Where is this movie? That's what I'm saying. That's a good movie, right? Dark. Yeah, this is like a hardcore story. Dude, big time. You get like uh, Charlize Theron to play Lady Betty or something like oh, that, yeah. dude. Badass. Maybe she's a little older now. I don't know how old uh, Lady Betty was, but she's still a capital A actor. She could pull it off. Um, so in other cases, butchers would become executioners. These freaking dudes called... Uh, 
What's this position called, dude? Knackers, K-N-A-C-K-E-R-S. It's due to just basically their job was to clean up carcasses of animals off the road, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, you're going to go be the executioner now too. And basically, a lot of times it didn't pay well. I mean, they could get havage, but you weren't making bank as an executioner um, unless, like I said, you hit it off, but mainly you were traveling around town, so they'd have to do these other un, um, you know, tasks that no one else wanted to do just to make ends meet, dude. Freaking crazy, dude. Um, let's see here. So then moving on to our dude, Fran Schmidt. So he gives us a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. Um, Fran Schmidt was an executioner um, from 1573 to 1617. He was, he was Master Fran Schmidt. He was the executioner for the towns of Bamberg and Nuremberg. Um, during that span, he personally executed more than 350 people while making while keeping a journal throughout his career. So he journaled all of it and what he would do. He was pretty dry about it. He'd just be like, this person did this, and this is what I did to them. And uh, he actually made a good amount of dough. Um, and at the end of his life, he didn't want his kids. Because he's not a psycho. Like, I, I I, make him out to be he's very cut and dry, but I think that's just, like, the approach that he had to have to it because he didn't want to be doing this work. He was born into it. And, in fact, at the end of his life, he did a great job. Um and I guess the only silver lining of this story is that, like, um, his kids didn't have to go in, into the profession. They, like, granted him. They're like, yes, you've done a good job for the state. Like, may your kids go and do, you know, a different per- profession. May they pursue another career that is not this business. And I bet you, like, there's a part of that story where then Fran Schmidt had to be like, but this guy can probably do it. And then, But then maybe that other guy was down and out and, and needed something kind of like Lady Betty style. But, uh, yeah, dude, let's see. Let me get a few excerpts from his uh, diary here, dude. Franz Schmidt, dude. Let's see. He writes... This is a, this is a psycho one. So it's not really a date, but 1573. Klaus Reinkart of Fieseldorf, a murderer, committed three murders with his companion. First, he shot dead another companion. Secondly a miller's man who helped him to attack and plunder a mill by night. The third instance was again at a mill, called the Fox Mill, on the mountains, which he attacked at night with a companion, shot the miller dead, raped a miller's wife and maid, forced them to fry some eggs and fat and laid these on the dead miller's body, then forced the miller's wife to join in eating them, then kicked the miller's body and said, Miller, how do you like this morsel? And robbed the mill. On this account, executed on the wheel by greats in the uh, archbishop of Bambrick. So this sounds like this guy, Klaus Reinkart, was a psychopath serial killer. Yeah. And they found him, and then he got the wheel. You don't want the wheel, dude. Okay? That means they really do not want... The wheel is basically, um, like as the account that, I, that I'm pulling it from here in England, is basically involved the victim's limb being gradually broken while they're strapped onto the wheel and then pulled around it, and then left to die. So basically, um, it could take days. So you don't want that. Yeah, that sounds horrible. This guy did horrendous things, you know, and I mean, this is sort of Code of Hammurabi side of here, the Code of Hammurabi of an eye for an eye, you know. Um, it's it's, it's freaking gnarly, dude. Um, 
you know, other methods that were bad, dude, you could get strung and quartered, dude. Um, this was maybe worse than the wheel. This is like in Braveheart is what happens is, um, basically they would do this to treason. Can't betray your state, dude. If you betray the state, the government, that's bad. That's worse than, you know, stealing cattle. It's even probably worse than, I guess, murder according to the punishment, but like the culprit would be hung and just seconds before death released, then disemboweled and their organs were then thrown into a fire so they could see. Then when they're dead, it's not over. They would freaking cut their limbs and then have their body parts sent to four different parts of the city as a warning to the public. They would like boil the body parts too and uh, with like cumin and spices so birds wouldn't go after it so it could, the message could last longer. Um, there's you know, so much effort. Dude, tons to of be effort. Mean. Yeah, oh, are you kidding me? It's, you, you got to think to it like, the justifications are like, oh, we want to send a message. It's deterrence. It's uh, we want a religious message to it of like, you know, if, if you act well, we'll give you less of a punishment. And we don't want to do it, but we're you're forcing our hand. You chose this. You know, it's that that whole like gaslighting thing. Um, and then just like, uh, I don't know, dude. You got to think there's some sort of crazy psychoness going on here, right? I mean, even just. I don't know, man. It seems a lot. People would do crushing. Crushing was mainly as like a, um, to get information out of someone. Um, but then often at times they would just die from it. Um, there was boiling. That would suck. Uh, Freaking impalement. It was gnarly, dude. Witches would get that, dude. Um, what about like the horse the horses pulling you apart yeah that that would be like being drawn is that so the, yeah it's like almost like you there's different methods of it and yeah that's just your body like being stretched that one sucks dude sawing dude that's just as it sounds that doesn't sound <laughs> good freaking so gnarly but basically my whole point you know i don't want to be too gratuitous with that are uh, with the grotesque details, but it's um. You know, I think we got to think to ourselves, who are these dudes behind the hoods? You know, who are these dudes wearing the uniforms? You know, next time you're on a flight, you and you want to flip out at the attendant or someone takes a little bit, you got to realize, hey, everyone's human, man, and everyone's just doing their best. You know, even the freaking executioners, which I don't think. You know, obviously there may have been, you know numbers alone would say there was probably a psycho that maybe enjoyed it, but not really too many. You're born into it. It's kind of no choice. You got to make, got to get through the day somehow. These were brutal times that we're living in back then, you know? It's freaking crazy, dude. Let's see, here's a, a very quick one before we take some cues, dude. Freaking, this is from Franz Schmidt's journal, dude. November 6th, 1595. Hans Siegert from Polingen near Newmark, a farmer, a farmhand who murdered a tailor named Summerstein at the Sindispool with a fence post. Executed here with the sword. Wept all the way until he knelt down. Psychotic. Murdered someone with a fence post. And the dude felt guilty, man. It's gnarly, dude. Think of all the gnarly stuff that's gone on throughout history, dude. 
That's why freaking I ghosts try not exist. To. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, don't do that, dude. If you want to have a nice day, don't do that. Think of think of all the chill stuff, though. You know, yeah, like the invention of the wheel, not the execution wheel. You know, without yeah. the invention of the wheel, we don't get skateboards. Think about that. That's true. So, all right, dude. Let's take a few questions here, then we'll friggin' head on out. But first, dude, support for History is Dank is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Like I mentioned, I am just dialed in and loving my Manscaped. I talked to my GF. We're all about decor. And, dude, they even have, like, a a great charging dock powered by a USB, dude. And the design looks great, dude. It looks sleek. and It's, like, very technologically advanced. I feel like I'm at the Sharper Image or, like, a a car dealership, you know, for electric vehicles. Uh, When I'm there, I'm like, dude, it almost looks like a little lightsaber. I like to imagine that. And it has a dank LED light so I can get into those tough to reach and see see what I'm doing when I'm operating down down there, um, you know, manscaping myself. And... I'm just loving, I'm loving it. I'm loving that it's on display. I'm loving that my GF gets fired up, even having it in the bathroom. Um, I put it right next to my toothbrush. It's my little zone right there. And I love it, dude. I, I, I truly am using it all the time. I'm stoked for my brothers to use it. I think it's like something that should be a staple. I have it. It's in my routine now. You know, it's in my, it's in my morning routine. That's when I'm doing it. I'm doing it in the morning. I wake up, take the dog for a walk yell at someone, let them know I have a rescue. Then I cruise back, hop in the shower, dry off, manscape, brush my teeth, ready to start my day. So it's just a beautiful to have that routine. It's I honestly, I think my productivity has been great because of it. I'm just, I'm just having fun trimming my junk, dude, you know? And I think maybe this holiday season, give your bros the gift of that fun, dude, and give yourself that gift, dude. Stuff your own stocking with, with dankness using, uh, you know, my freaking code dank d-a-n-k at manscaped.com you get 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code dank at manscaped.com dude your balls are gonna thank you dude and not only your balls dude the entire road down to your dode i love looking at my road down to the dode i look at it like it's a nice little map down there dude you know it's a good i've got a whole nice little runway going there you could probably land like a b-52 bomber if you had to on there thanks to manscaped dude so it's just looking good i'm having fun with it and um, I love it, man. So I'm giving them to my bros for the holidays, and I'm I'm using my freaking my own code, dude. I'm getting twenty percent off plus free shipping with the code Dank at Manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you, dude. Do it. Twenty percent off with shipping. Manscaped.com. Use the code Dank. All right, dude. Let's take a few cues. What up, Stride Daddy? Andrew here, your neighbor to the south of Camp P in Oside. That's Camp Pendleton, the Marine Base. He's down there in Oceanside. Legit, loving it. Bro, loving the pod and got to say thanks for keeping my stoke meters full. Correction, though, bro. All right, here we go. In the Samuel Whitmore ep, which was dank, you used an incorrect phrase. You said you can't have your cake and eat it too. Dude, this is how they caught the Unabomber. Unreal. The saying is actually you can't eat your cake and have it too. All of us peasants have messed up saying it over the years, and the Unabomber was on such a different intellectual level that us that he actually knew the or on such a different level than us that he actually knew the origin of the saying and had it correct i honestly think that you can do an entire app on this bro it was how they found the forensics linguist founded forensic linguistics so dank dude dank forensic linguistics that's a freaking dank field of study dude um 
and it was the first case ever to use the English language to convict someone. That's gnarly. Oh, there's a series, uh, Man Manhunt, about the Unabomber. Um, that's Ted Kaczynski, right? Kaczynski is the Unabomber. Not I always think, confuse him with like Timothy McVeigh, but it's, it's Kaczynski. John Krasinski. John Krasinski. Yeah, there's John Krasinski from the office. Took him out, dude. Freaking. Um, that is true. So you, the saying is, you can't eat your cake and have it too. That's the proper English. I guess that makes sense, right? Yeah. Because of what they're trying to say, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't eat your cake and have it too. That makes sense. Because how do you have your cake without eating it? I don't know. Or, I mean, I guess you can have your cake without eating it because you just have it. But if you, you can't eat your cake and have it too because then it's gone. Maybe not. I don't know. The word have is kind of tripping up on that. But anyway, dude, thank you for the correction, dude. And freaking keep living it up down in Oceanside. That's legit, dude. Strider, what up? I love razor scootering. Busting jumps, grinding curbs, carving tight S-turns. Here's my question. Is it chill that I am this into razoring when I'm 41 years old? <laughs> I have a wife and kids. Other dads go golfing and I razor. Is something wrong with me? Should I like golf? Um... Nah, dude, you love razoring, bro. You don't like have to like something just to fit in, dude. Think about these kids I was talking about wearing jean jackets at the beach and full jeans and Converse, dude, smoking on one cigarette. It's like, dude, you love what you love. And guess what? Your kid can razor with you. A lot of these dads, not to knock them, I mean, a lot of them probably do genuinely love golf, but a lot of them are just trying to get away, get a little dad time, you know, a little me time away from the fam. And you can do that razoring, but you can also make that fam time. When I grew up, my dad used to make me golf. I hated it, dude. I once tripped over a rake and fell into a sand trap. Bust. You know? I wanted to just be hanging out. I probably wanted to be skating. This was before razoring was around when I was that young. But like, you know I mean? He's 41, loving razoring. Interesting, you know? It's probably better that you do have a family and stuff. Otherwise, if you're at the skate park at 41, razoring around with young kids might not be the right look. You know, the optics aren't great on that. But if you got genuine passion for it, you got to go and do it, dude. Um, see here, dude. Strider, dude, what up? I'm thinking of doing experience gifts with my GF for Dankmas this year. I'm asking my GF to just let me game every night for the entire month of January for Christmas. Is that chill? It's not that I don't like chilling with my GF. I just want eight promised uninterrupted hours of gaming per night for the entire month of January. Is that too much to ask? That's an experience gift. I got us tickets to see her favorite band, Slipknot. That's an experience too. Yeah, I was thinking for Christmas, I was going to ask my GF if I could just, like, treat her badly for a while. <laughs> dude, exactly right. That's what this guy's saying, dude. So can I just neglect you for a month? Is that chill? Can you give me that gift? Like, can you still love me while I neglect you during these allotted hours? Yeah, dude. I mean, look, there's all something for gaming, and maybe, you know, you're scratching the itch a lot. Don't get me wrong. I love dropping COD or whatever game you're playing. Um you know, you, you probably love it as much as I love COD, but it's like eight hours is too much. Obviously per day or probably during a day, I'd probably say keep it to a minimum of a few hours just for your own health and well-being of your eyes and mental well-being. But I'd say, I mean, dude, maybe you get a night. Maybe it's like, yo, Wednesdays, I get to game hard with the boys. Can I get that? And I don't even think you need to use that as a gift. I think like your GF will understand that. And then you guys can do a different experience gift, like going to your favorite band's concert whenever they're safe to play again you know you see Slipknot with her and then maybe with your favorite band I don't know what it is 
Jimmy Eats World or something. You guys go see them, dude. That's Aaron's favorite band, dude. Shout out to Aaron, dude. Miss you, dude. And um, so, yeah, dude, I got to say, I think it's unchill. Um, but I love that you're doing experience gifts. I think that's a great freaking call. Um, and then, dude, before we end, I want to just read this. Um, last episode, I did Cowboy Poetry, and this dude sent me an amazing, dude, the kid, Joey P., sent me an amazing cowboy poem here called Moonlight. And I'd like to read this um, for our outro. I want to thank Manscaped again. Um, use the code DANK. Get 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Dude, treat people right this holiday. Um, oh, before I read the poem, actually, I actually have another announcement to make myself. Dude, I'm coming out with a um, a freaking documentary, four-part documentary series called The Dank Quest, dude. Yeah, dude, I paid this film crew right before COVID and the project kind of got boned over. Um, and I mentioned it on Going Deep, but like um, on December 21st, I'm releasing the first episode of this documentary called The Dank Quest where, because I watch a lot of movies, dude, and I think mainly in like, you know, I've been introspective lately and I want to figure out who I am. And so I, I often ask myself that a lot at night, looking in the mirror when I'm brushing my teeth, when I'm manscaping, when I'm doing all sorts of stuff. Um, I'll just go, who am I? You know, when I'm in traffic and I feel like people figure out who they are in documentaries a lot and they have breakthroughs. So I hired this crew to follow me around for a few weeks and, um, then COVID happened. So it really interrupted the process. And I don't know if I had a full epiphany, but, um, putting it out into the world anyway. So it's going to come out on December 21st. Freaking check it out. It's going to be dank, dude. This Stephen Gweddy, uh, freaking directed it dude he freaking crushed it he broke his leg he's doing better he bro actually broke his leg scootering with his nephews those things can be vicious but he's healing up and um you know dude just fired up to put this art out into the world so keep your eyes peeled i'll put it out on probably i'll put it out on the history's dank youtube channel and i'll put it out on instagram as well strato sheds all day um so just that and then hopefully you guys will be stoked so it's gonna be called the dank quest coming out december 21st dude um let me make sure I actually have that date right. What's that? That Monday. Yep. December 21st. All right, dude. Let me read this guy's poem, dude. Joey P, the chill kid, dude. Got to pull it back up here because I had to check that date. All right. This is called Moonlight. It's a cowboy poem. Hello, Moonlight. The day has brought us here again. Rattling gets tough under the sun, but your beginning will deliver its end. The stars, they shine a different type with a little whiskey in my tin cup and a tobacco pipe. But Moonlight and I, well, I'd say we're pretty good friends. But a day will come when both part. It's a tough goodbye. She never means to break my heart. Just means it's time for me to get to rustling. And well, Miss Moon, I'll still think of you, even though you're on the other side of the thick blue light. Just means it's time for me to get, oh wait, shit, dude, to get a rustling, <clears throat> and well, Miss Moon, I think it's, I think of you, even though you're on the other side of the thick blue light, keep another cowboy company, I still hope to see you soon, the kid, Joey P. I read that last little stanza twice by accident in there, so I apologize to the um, author, um, just because I took screenshots of it onto my phone and then inaccurately did it, but beautiful, beautiful, dude, a little bit of ennui in there, um, cowboy looking at the moon and just um, maybe it's making him think of a lover I look at it that way maybe he looks at the moon sort of Shakespearean and thinks of the lover that's looking at it on the other side and realizes that she's moved on and the moon is parting from that month or maybe the three month window 
that he gave himself to lament it. And he's going, it's time for me to move on, dude. And I hope that she does as well. Stag. All right, dude. Dante, thank you so much for being on the sticks and being a ledge, dude, and freaking fired up, dude. Thanks for your freaking fire insight and dank knowledge. Um, dude, fired up for another episode of History is Dank in the Books, dude. Send me some corrections, comments, suggestions, poems, whatever, dude. Just say what up to me. Strider Wilson Treasure, gmail.com, dude. All right, late.